Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. Ace Podcast. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On today's show, what is YouTube thinking these days? Why Iron Man 2 may be underrated in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What is Nintendo Labo? And could Chewbacca be the key to the Star Wars universe? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. (laughs) Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being back with us again on another great program. And of course, right alongside with me, he is the man, the myth, the legend behind Humanica Media. It's Josh Peterson. What's going on, my friend? What up, what up? Uh, dude, I just finished playing Tomb Raider. Absolutely love it. And then I saw the trailer today. It's almost exactly like the game. So I'm super stoked. So I'm either going to go into that movie and walk out feeling amazed about it, or I'm going to just walk out hating everything about video games. Well, it is another video game movie, and there's not a whole lot of good ones that are out there. So let's hope this outing by Alicia Vikander is going to be a good one. I'm keeping my fingers crossed because as we've discussed this before, I've written about it before. Video games and movies just really have never coexisted very well at all. I'm hopeful for that or maybe Uncharted when it finally comes to fruition on the big screen or some other video game entity to change my mind and change my perception of how video games are perceived in Hollywood. But that's for another day. We've got a great program lined up for you today. We've got a lot of great things on tap for you. We've got Tyler Baker later in the show coming up with his thoughts on this weekend's AFC and NFC championship games coming up here in a bit. We've got in the cosmic crossfire, my good friend, director Rob McCallum from Rob McCallum films. He's going to be talking some star Wars, but first Josh, I'll tell you what, it's a great feeling to be back on the podcast radio network where we are at Friday nights, 7 PM Eastern, 4 PM Pacific, but we've also picked up three more great channels in the interim as well. Want to say a big hello to croc radio in Canada you want to go ahead and check them out. We're going to be on Fridays and Mondays, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. in that area. You want to check out crockradio.com. Good talk radio on the Cutting Edge Radio Network. We are back-to-back, back-to-back episodes of the Pop Culture Cosmos and PCC Multiverse. 
That comes up for them on Sundays, 9 to 11, Arizona time. And the Western Reserve Radio Broadcasting Company, we're going to be on there Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Just go to westernreserveradio.com, check it out there. I'll tell you what. And it's also on the Live 365 network. Josh, we've got a lot of great things to talk about, but let's start off first with this. YouTube has made a lot of, well, let's say a lot of angry people over the past few days, including yours truly, and also I know very much you as well. They sent out notices this week informing those individuals who have YouTube channels who have not had 4,000 hours of watch time within the past 12 months and 1,000 subscribers. So if you haven't met that threshold within the past 12 months as of February 2018, hey, you're out as far as making money, at least as far as YouTube is concerned. So if you don't get 1,000 subscribers or have 4,000 hours of watch time accumulated by that point in time, you're out, buddy, when it comes to making some money. This comes hot off the heels after the incident that YouTube sensation Logan Paul and the controversy in regarding to his ineptness when it comes to what he could put on the screen, which goes back to PewDiePie and his ineptness on what he thought he could say and put on his YouTube channel. It looks like these smaller entities are out there are being punished because these advertisers are talking to YouTube and saying they don't want to be a part of a lot of this going on and they don't want uh, a lot of these YouTubers running wild. Yeah, we're being punished for something that we didn't do. And at the end of the day, the people who are, you know, these advertisers, their ads are still going on to video makers who are making offensive content. You know, they they reach the mark of 4,000 hours per week and they have over 1,000 subscribers and people... You know, their ads are still going on to videos that may or may not be offensive. It doesn't vet, you know, offensive material as much as it cripples the small the, the small content maker trying to make money. It, it's completely ridiculous and we're being punished. And the thing that, that, you know, I hate about this whole thing is that we're being punished because of uh, Logan Paul. But, you know, YouTube and Google, you know, they kicked him out, but they didn't say you can't ever come back. Like they're very specific about the fact that like if he were to clean up his act, you know, the door would still be open for him. So that is the thing that makes me the most upset. But, you know, because like with the, you know, last year's uh, NHL All-Star Conference, I made a few hundred dollars off that. But now I won't make anything off of it. And my question is, is YouTube still going to place ads on my videos despite taking away my monetization tools? And if that's the fact, then I'm probably going to be removing my channel from, uh, YouTube, or I'm going to be closing it all as private and redirecting them all to my Patreon page. And I don't blame you a bit for doing so. As someone who had over 150,000 views and has over 100 subscribers on his Game Source channel, it just seemed to me very frustrating because anytime I would, let me put it this way it's bad enough that I had so many individuals out there that were trying to go ahead and, and throw copyright claims. Most of them are, in my opinion, illegitimate, but they're, they're trained, they're got, they've got bots, they've got, they know what to look for, they know what to spot out for something totally innocent, for something totally that is a video that, that has nothing to do with what, what is, there, is in their interest. I had to deal with that over the past few years, and it makes me sick because 
there's been a lot of views and a lot of videos that I've had. In fact, my top rated video on the Game Source channel, two years later, got a copyright claim on it for an ill valid reason, in my opinion, of course. And that just to me is, it's just really sad that these small YouTube creators are continuously being punished by YouTube, Google, and other entities that are out there. Patreon, you talked about Patreon as well. They make these changes that really sets the internet ablaze and really sends a message to smaller creators or people just trying to get by and making a small amount or not even just trying to even just do it for fun that it just sends a message that we don't want you here and we you're not here to stay and and you trying to get bigger is something that's not in our agenda or we're going to try and throw up as many roadblocks as we can as far as you trying to get more successful and gain more viewers they're essentially cutting off our ability and like our ability to grow a lot of small youtubers you know they might not have the subscription base that a lot of like the you know the PewDiePie, uh, you know, John Tron or whatever people have, but you know, the little revenue that we do get from that stuff, we pump right back into producing things. So without that small bit of revenue, they, who knows how many creator content creators are going to be, you know, disappearing, going offline. They're cutting off a potential revenue source for themselves. But like, this is, this affected a lot of people. This wasn't just like a, a small, like portion of the community. This was a whole lot of people were like literally screwed over by this. And there's no way to reciprocate in kind as far as being able to speak to someone at YouTube because whenever a copyright claim or, or a grievance comes up that you feel that you have to make or fight against, you're, you're, you're just sending a blind message into Google or YouTube and you're not even getting a response back in a timely fashion or you don't even know if they're even acknowledging it at all. So that to me is, is very distressing. I've had to deal with as a YouTube channel owner for years now, but that it's their company, you know, their way of doing things. We have to, at least for now, for those that are using us, a smaller, less frequent users of the YouTube consortium are, are just have to, you know, make do with what we have and find alternate routes to either making money or generating some type of income or volume or audience from it or just accept the fact that this is the way YouTube's gonna be in the near future. What are your thoughts on YouTube and its decisions that are being made? In fact, this leads back into what Patreon did and they had to do an about face. Do you see YouTube doing something similar because of the, the potential backlash that's obviously gonna be, well, it's actually already coming about when it comes to YouTube. Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Are you a small YouTube content creator out there? Are you being hindered by this? Are you being hampered by this decision that's being made? Once again, share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanic Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. Well, like we said, we've got a great episode here for you today. We truly appreciate you stopping by and checking us out on all of our great networks or if you're downloading us we truly appreciate that as well we've got rob mccallum standing by in the cosmic crossfire but first we have from his emoji engine album which you can get today on bandcamp it's our good friend warren fernandez and this is san francisco and this is the pcc multiverse
Thanks for checking out the PCC. You know, the pop culture cosmos. We'll be back in one moment. So, Tafer, what would the elevator pitch for Bears on Film be? Please listen to us. That is just god-awful. Oh, you do better, Billy, if that is your real name. Bears on Film, a podcast where Billy, a large, hairy visual effects artist, and Topher, a larger, hairier cameraman, discuss films they love, films they don't, and those that fall in between. That is better. Thank you. And how much had you had to drink when you came up with the name Bears on Film? Shh. Find us at bearsonfilm.net or on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Acast, or anywhere else good podcasts are found. We have returned with more Pop Culture Cosmos. And yes, it is the Cosmic Crossfire. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate everyone standing by and listening to us here on today's episode. After fighting death once again this winter, I tell you what, it, the, the germ gods have not been kind to you, my friend. But he is the man, the myth, the legend at Rob McCallum Films. You got to check out all his great projects today on robmccallumfilms.com. It is Rob McCallum. Feeling better, my friend? I am feeling alive. I don't know if that means better. I, I guess it should mean better. It's just that I got so much work to do. I got a lot of catching up that's got to take place. It's what happens when the uh, the illness infiltration occurs on, on one's body. Ten days behind now in productivity. Got to rifle back at it. Get those troops in order. Baby, get going. There you go. That's the spirit. And I know a lot of that determination and a lot of those projects uh, are coming out fast and furious over the next couple months. But one of them is the back or busted crowdfunding campaigns, which you either back or you bust. Tell us a little bit more about that and how people can get more information on where to see your thoughts on all these great Kickstarter and Indiegogo campaigns. Well, you can check us out on YouTube or Facebook at Backed or Busted Crowdfunding. And essentially, the best way to describe it is like Shark Tank for crowdfunding. I go to Kickstarter or Indiegogo for the most part, and I take a look at the pitch that's put before the entire world, and I decide whether this campaign is worth backing or if it's completely busted. So by the end of every episode, you'll find out if I backed it or if it's busted. It's that simple. I put real-world dollars down. I uh, do about a half-hour video each time I, I sit down with the campaign, and I basically vet it. I go through everything that there is about it. I dig deep. I do a little bit of research live and kind of cut it down to a half hour video and basically showcase what works and what doesn't work. And if this is a kind of project that you should check out. Definitely. And you can find that on his Facebook and Twitter, Rob McZob, or also as well, backed or busted crowdfunding campaign. You can just type that in and it comes right up for you. Well, I'm a huge fan of it because I really like to research and keep up on the, on that space as uh, I've been approached by a number of people to consult and, and help them launch campaigns this year. So by covering these other campaigns to see what other people are doing, it's just a natural extension of what I'm doing anyways. Plus, you know, with a show like the Pop Culture Cosmos or the Multiverse, there's a lot of great pop culture stuff out there. One of my resolutions for 2018 was to dig deeper and into the indie world to see what people are trying to do themselves. What are they trying to do on the homegrown front? And there's no better place to check out than Kickstarter or Indiegogo for people that have these great pop culture projects, be it comic books, illustrations, films, video games, tabletop. All this stuff it can be found on Kickstarter and Indiegogo, and that's 
primarily the the kind of campaigns that I take a look at. So if that sounds like your flavor, check out facebook.com slash busted crowdfunding. You'll see some of the episodes we've got. I think we've already done nine episodes or something like that. We're definitely getting out there. There's about three per week that we look at. And if you've got a campaign that you want me to highlight, or if uh, you have a project that you've done yourself and you think you need an extra set of eyes on it to see if it's truly amazing, hit me up at crowdfundingspectacular99 at gmail.com. Be happy to take a look at it or put the spotlight on a campaign that you're on the fence about backing yourself. Well, I know you and I have got a lot to talk about in the world of pop culture. So what's going on when it comes to everything in pop culture? Not sure if you caught these comments. There have been further comments on why Disney has decided to erase the Star Wars extended universe. But allegedly, they're because they didn't want Chewbacca to have passed away. What do you think about that? Who knew Chewbacca was, you know, so endeared to the hierarchy at Disney and Star Wars and Lucasfilm? I, I don't want to say he's a major individual within the Star Wars realm as far as a, someone who can really just sell the all the stuff out there and whatnot. So he's not a, a big producer of sales of product, but he is just as far as a a universally loved character that i guess at some point in time they'll have to unfortunately kill off with maybe a successor in some form or fashion within the wookie realm but really really cool to see that uh, disney and lucasfilm have a tremendous amount of love for the chewbacca character so i'll try to paraphrase the explanation that i read again this article you can find on slash film i believe it's on the hollywood reporter as well maybe variety uh the individual basically said when examining the extended universe they discovered that, that chewbacca had been killed by the a moon falling on him and because he's a character that can't speak or can only speak in growls it was hard to explain what was happening to him and he didn't have a really a voice for himself and the thought at uh people not being able to see a movie with chewbacca was heartbreaking to them so they decided to kind of scrap everything because if you can't have a movie with chewbacca according to them then anything else that's in the extended universe is is, is minor by comparison now i'll be the first to say I, i'm gonna call bs on this because how many times have we seen books that have been adapted to the screen where big things like deaths of characters have been changed for the movie version all the time or not even mentioned at all like first of all luke's wife Luke's wife has never been mentioned in any movie at all whatsoever. There's there's a million examples that that they could have uh, you know stuck with, and I just feel like this is a bit of a cop out. I firmly believe that it's easier for them to wipe it away so that they can blaze their own path and go forward. And that makes sense. Why not just tell people that? Because they didn't want to be hampered by the hundreds of authors and thousands of uh, content creators that have you know essentially position something within that realm for the last 30, 40 years, they didn't want to have to kind of compete with that or beholden to it, really. They wanted to create and blaze their own path. That is something I get. That is something I can stand behind and say, yeah, that makes sense. Some of this other stuff, whether it works or not, has got to make way for the continued story. The only reason the extended universe exists in the first place is because Lucas never thought that he was going to do anything after Jedi. So he thought, yeah, okay, I'll license the rights. To, for people to tell stories out there. And then he did the prequels. And that kind of muddied around some of the extended universe stuff already. And then he continued to allow people to do it. Disney had to put the foot down. They had to say, what is canon? What isn't canon? And I think it's just a much cleaner approach. 
so that it's easier for people to be fans. It's easier to digest that content and they don't have to work so hard against something that is done when they have the freedom to necessarily create the path before them. That makes much more sense because laying it all on the, the hooves, the I'll say hooves? The feet, feet of Chewbacca. Uh, is, <laughs> is, is, there you go. Laying on Chewbacca, this kind of, like you said, not exactly. Because they've done so much with him, right? Since The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. He's been such an integral, crucial character to those stories. Yeah, and you and I both know there's, there's, like you said, there's thousands, literally thousands of books out there on the Star Wars universe that told different stories, had the main characters doing all sorts of different things, experiencing things that you know, it, it just got too much out there, like you said. And, and I, I don't, it, it, that would have been a much better way to explain why they did what they did. Just getting rid of, of it all and just keeping something sort of streamlined. I, I don't mind at all getting rid of everything. If it meant so many of those stories out there that were told that really didn't need to be told. I, I, I agree with you on that. It just, they should have been more upfront exactly why they're doing what they were doing. I don't mind at all that they ended up doing it because like you said, there's so many different authors, so many different people that wrote so many different Star Wars stories. It was hard to keep track exactly what the end game was for all these beloved Star Wars characters. Rob, it's always great having you on the show. We just truly appreciate you taking the time to be a part of the pop culture cosmos. And of course, each week, right here in the Cosmic Crossfire. Pew, pew! If you love film, be sure to tune in to Kinocast every week and join me, Bill Malloy, for your Friday movie fix. With new episodes every week, Kinocast is the place to be for all the latest film news, reviews and interviews. Make sure you also check us out on social media via Facebook and Twitter at Kino underscore press. As well as iTunes, Spotify and Podbean, all episodes of Kinocast are available via our website, kino-press.com, where you'll also find heaps of other content too, including regular quizzes to put your film knowledge to the test. Kinocast, for your Friday movie fix. And we're back with the BCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. And I'll tell you what, if you are looking for a mix of The Wizard of Oz and The Santa Claus, why there must always be a Guy Fieri super geeky playdate right around the corner. So check them out today. Super geeky playdate on one of our many great stations, the Gunny Geek Network. Speaking of Gunny Geek Network, you can download our shows at any point in time there also as well on Podchaser, the ESO Network, the Tangibound Network, and so many other channels. Apple Podcasts, of course, subscribe to us there or any of the different players that, that also take in all the great stuff that Apple iTunes and Apple Podcasts have. But Josh, I know you've got a great thing going on with Humanica Media, which you can catch all the great stuff while it's still there on YouTube, also as well, podcast.com, Podbean, and so many others. What's going on with your awesome content at Humanica Media? Funny you ask that. A brand new episode of the Super BS Games has just dropped about an hour ago, so you can now check that out. It didn't drop on YouTube? No, it didn't drop on YouTube. 
I don't know what's going to drop on YouTube now, except for my uh, my potential income stream. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's true. So that's that's true. Yeah, so you can check that out. Uh, new What About This will drop on Monday. Uh, Inside Sports will be up tomorrow. Um, yeah, I think that's it, man. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's it. No, I'm pretty confident that's it. Okay, fair enough, indeed. There's still a lot going on, and you want to check out all the great stuff on humanicomedia.com or humanicomedia on Facebook and Twitter as well. So, Josh, I know you heard the latest news on what Nintendo's doing, and we talked about this uh, a little bit ago in a recent episode where Nintendo is not resting on its laurels being the hottest-selling console on the market and also the fastest-selling console right now in the marketplace. They just announced Nintendo Labo, which I guess if from all the videos that we saw already on Nintendo Labo, and it's coming out this spring right around the corner, it is, uh, I guess, a, something you create out of cardboard that you fold together, you get it a, as a sheet, and then you fold it together and, and follow the instructions, then you design it the way you want it, and then it interacts itself with the Switch to create a numerous array of things, whether it's a robot whether it's a remote control toy or, or something of that nature. Just a lot of great things that seem to have opened the eyes of a lot of youngsters out there when it comes to the potential of Nintendo Switch. What are your thoughts on Nintendo Labo? Do you think it's going to be something that a lot of people are going to get behind? Or do you think it's just going to be something that's just like a messy cardboard box? I think that a lot of people don't quite understand what it is yet. Like I've been reading a lot of forums and they're saying, you know, you have the, the fanboys saying, oh, this is stupid. I'm just going to, you know, make my own out of cardboard or something. But what a lot of people don't get is that there's actual software attached to it. And we kind of talk about this on the Super BS Gamescast. You know, it's cool. Like you can make a piano. There's one where it's like you can make an RC car. Like there's a lot of cool things. And it's one of those. It has the type of software that can be continuously updated so you can keep making new things, new objects. And like some of them I hear. You know, it takes like two hours to make. It's kind of like, what was that? Um, it was it Lego Dimensions where you could actually build something and then use it in the yes. game. Yes, like, that's correct. That's what I'm seeing for Nintendo uh, Labos. But the thing is, like, is it something like the question we should be asking is, is it one of those things like motion gaming where it's cool at first and you like the novelty of it, but then you just get kind of worn out of it or you get tired of it or they stop offering support for it? And then you're basically stuck with this accessory that you can't do anything with. Yeah, I'd like to try it out, but who knows? Like this, these types of things don't exactly have a good track record. No, they don't. And as we know from Lego Dimensions, even Skylanders, obviously Disney Infinity, they really get popular at first and they just go really in the toilet when it comes to sales after a short period of time. The novelty truly wears off really quick. Hey, fidget spinners, we were talking about that almost at this time last year, and it's already deader than a doornail. But when it comes to Nintendo Labo, I'd probably just say it's going to be able to get the kind of support, at least in the short term, because we see from Amiibo that Amiibo still getting support on the various Nintendo platforms. So I could see it getting support, at least in the short term, with more kits, more projects being available. But I agree with you on that. At some point in time, I think the novelty will end. Remember, we fit. If you stop by one of our, our great members, Retro City Games here in Las Vegas, if you go and check out their store, they've got a lot of great stuff. 
They've also probably got the world's leading supply of used Wii Fits. They've got stacked up on the side of a wall that is not going anywhere anytime soon. So could this be the next Wii Fit where everybody buys it, everybody likes it, but after one Christmas, it could be gone like the wind. I'm, I think Nintendo's probably going to give it a little bit better support because the Nintendo Switch is still less than one year old. It is still in its infancy as a console. I believe strongly that they will support it in the interim if sales dictate it. And I think anything relating to Nintendo and the Nintendo Switch is going to sell very well, at least at the outset and through at least one Christmas. So I think they're going to definitely support it with more modules, more sheets of cardboard, more projects, and more software, more things to do for it, at least till the end of the year. I see that happening. And right now, Nintendo's hot. They could pretty much throw out some cardboard paper because, well, in this case, they are. But they could pretty much throw out anything out there because even the 2DS and the 3DS is having a revival in sales where they're selling very strongly. And those systems, you know how old they are. Nintendo. You notice how less and less is coming out now, though? I was looking at this year's releases for the 3DS, and it seems like there's less and less games coming out for it. But, I mean, who knows? It, it could stay alive because they're still making games for Vita. So, you know, we'll see. The reason why I say that is because most analysts have been seeing an uptick, at least in the holiday season, for 2DS and 3DS. And they were surprised that it it, it actually is some of the strongest sales they've seen in a couple years from that system. So that might be telling you something that there could be an extended life even for that age console. But when it comes to Nintendo and Nintendo peripherals, they're always a hit and miss situation. But I think at least in the short term, Nintendo Labo is going to be at least a nice addition to the Nintendo Switch lineup, at least for youngsters out there looking to do more than just play some video games. What are your thoughts on Nintendo Labo? Are you excited for it as a Nintendo fan? Are you really looking forward to it? Do you have youngsters out there that are really interested in this and have already been asking you, please pre-order it, pre-order it, buy it, buy it, buy it, buy it? Are you interested in maybe the robot or the variety mix? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. When we come back, Tyler Baker standing by with a preview of this weekend's action in the NFL. He is standing by right after the break. This is the PCC Multiverse. I'm Drew Leiter. And I'm Cleus Jacobs. We're here to tell you about our podcast, The Earth Station, DCU. Join us every week as we discuss the DC Universe. We talk everything DC, including comics, television, the cinematic universe, and so much more. We look forward to bringing you some great reviews and discussions. And don't forget, read, read more comics. comics. That's right. You heard the whistle and it is that time again. It is time to break down the latest action in football with my good friend. He is the man, the myth, the legend behind 
the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast, Tyler Baker. This weekend, we're previewing the AFC and NFC Championship game to head to the Super Bowl in Minneapolis. Great to have you back on the show. Hey, thanks, my friend. It's good to see you again. Good to be back. All right. on. And as I told you, you know, I've got the new streamlined hairdo, at least for now. <laughs> I, I met a lawnmower I didn't like. And I'll tell you what, I am ready to go for this week's action in the NFL. I don't know if everybody else is. Yeah. And we'll talk about that coming up soon. But before we get into the action and talk about all the great things going on this weekend, you got to share with me why people have to check out the Fantasy Football Patriot podcast. Well, during fantasy football season, there are a lot of decisions to make. There are a lot of factors involved. And what we do is we use our experience and we just help people make better decisions. We're not going to make decisions for you, but we'll steer you in the best direction that we can. Sounds great indeed. And you can also check it out on their Fantasy Football Patriot Podcast Facebook group. And you'll meet a lot of other people like yourself that are truly into football and will help you once fantasy football season comes back to make the right decisions in your draft and during the season as well. Everything was just going along well. We had some nice matchups, but wouldn't you know something gets thrown out of left field or something gets injured when it comes to out of left field. And we'll start off with the Jacksonville New England matchup somebody hurt their widow hand and it looks like it's some nervous time going on in Beantown. Sure. Uh, so Tom Brady, the Tom Brady hurt his hand in practice. He was throwing it in it. It, it uh, his hand hit another player. Now uh, quarterbacks uh, during practice, they wear the red non-contact Jersey, but it looks like it was just an extension of him throwing that uh, he made contact with a teammate hurt his hand Normally this wouldn't be a big deal, but Tom Brady did go in on Wednesday for x-rays. So that tells me that it's big, a big enough of a deal that they're x-raying it just to make sure that there's no structural damage. There was some swelling. Tom Brady on Thursday was at practice. He was on the field for the stretching portion, but he didn't actually participate in practice. I think that's just a precautionary measure. I'm not too concerned about it. Tom Brady is going to be starting his 12th, his 12th AFC championship game. I'm not too concerned about the hand. Now, Tom Brady also went through most of the year being on the injury report as having a bad knee. His knee never affected his playing. I think the x-ray, it looks like the x-ray was just precautionary, but for it to be serious enough for him to get x-rays, it shows that there's an actual problem with a team, the New England Patriots, that likes to do smoke and mirrors with their injury report. We know that there's a real problem, but again, this is a guy that's been there before. This is, again, his 12th AFC championship. I'm not that concerned with Tom Brady this weekend. What you should be concerned with if you're a New England Patriots fan is the Jacksonville defense, which, yeah. well, last week aside is one of the strongest defenses of the last few years. Absolutely. Now, their defense is a little banged up. Their free safety to Sean Gibson, he did not practice, not sure yet if he's going to play. And their strong safety, Barry Church, was limited in Thursday in practice. We'll have to see the Friday practice report to tell us a little bit of a clear story. But what that's painting for me is a picture where Rob Gronkowski who is probably the most dangerous weapon and Tom Brady's favorite weapon, 
Now he's going up against a really good defense with banged up safeties. So that's that's a pretty big deal. It'll be interesting to see who plays on Jacksonville. If their free safety can't go, they could just put one of their speedy linebackers on Gronk one-on-one, shadow him the whole game. But of course, it's the Patriots. So even if you take Gronk out of the equation, they have plenty of other ways that they can beat you. Looks like Rex Burkhead is back. He practiced on a limited basis, but he's expected to play. And also Mike Gillisley has been practicing as well. So there are a lot of weapons that New England can can use. But every team that has had success against New England, it's because they've been able to put pressure on Tom Brady. And I think that's going to be uh, priority number one for Jacksonville is getting pressure on Brady, hoping maybe that his hand will be making throws uncomfortable for him. So this is going to be a really good game. Jacksonville is a for real defense with fast, good players all along that defense. So even though looking at it, it's the Patriots against the Jaguars, I think it's going to be a little bit of a better game than people think it's going to be. Because Jacksonville just beat Pittsburgh last week, and nobody expected that. I didn't expect that. I'll end our thoughts on the AFC Championship with this question to you. And I think this is the most important question of the entire championship weekend. Do you think Blake Bortles is a good enough quarterback to get his team to the Super Bowl? That's the question. And what we've seen statistically is that Blake Bortles has been playing well. And by playing well, I mean he hasn't thrown interceptions. When he doesn't give the ball away, Jacksonville wins games. So do I think. When you're only throwing for 80 yards, however, you're not throwing many passes and thus are not throwing many interceptions. But at some point in time in that game, New England's going to force him to make that pass. And that's probably on on Bill Belichick's to do list is, is to get the ball out quickly move downfield, score touchdowns. And then, of course, Jacksonville is probably going to counter with a lot of Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette is very good. He's very hard to stop. And as long as they don't ask Blake Bortles to win the game for them, I think that'll give them the best chance that they have to win. There's another championship game, and it's not a consolation at all. Mm -hmm. But I want to ask you this. If at the beginning of the season, I told you that Nick Foles versus Case Keenum would be the matchup <laughs> of quarterbacks in the <laughs> NFC Championship game, I, he- I hear you laughing now, so I probably wouldn't know your answer. What yeah. would you have said? Would you actually have said, I would be in need of a drug test? I would have probably sought out a different pop culture show to be on. <laughs> If, if if that's where your if those were your thoughts at the beginning of the season, yeah, I I, I probably would have suggested uh, sobriety. <laughs> but after that miracle play, and I'll tell you what, that was wow. a miracle play, wow. and a really just I, I feel so bad for the New Orleans Saints safety sure. who you know, you got to feel terrible for him. But yeah. after that miracle play by Minnesota, they are now in the NFC Championship game against Philadelphia. What do you see in this matchup? Because like I said, these were not the two quarterbacks that started out the season for these teams, but in at least one case, it is a quarterback who's actually really done a spectacular job in getting their team to the championship game. Absolutely. If you want to be a successful football team, you have to have depth. You have to, and it happens with a lot of teams every year. They look really good, and then they lose one of those key players, and they just can't recuperate from that, especially a quarterback. You very, very rarely see 
the starting quarterback on a good team go down and that team continue to be good. Well, we have two instances of it right now with the Minnesota Vikings and the Philadelphia Eagles, which makes this game so difficult to kind of project. Like it's, it's just going to be very difficult. Now, Case Keenum has been playing quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings for a while. Uh, uh, that team trusts him. Uh, that team is one with him. You can't say that for Nick Foles. Nick Foles has been thrown in there for a month now, and I don't think that that's enough time to really build trust and chemistry within a locker room that will take you over the edge. So if I had a favorite in this game, it would have to be Minnesota's defense. And it's something my grandfather always told me. My grandfather always told me that defenses win championships. And what we're seeing right now is three out of these four teams that are in the conference championships have really good defenses. Philadelphia's defense, I think, is a little underrated, but anybody who watches football closely knows that they're a good defense. Minnesota's the number one defense in the league, and of course, we all know that Jacksonville has a great defense. So what we're seeing on the NFC side of it is two really good defensive teams that have made it to this point because of their defense, and it's going to be very interesting how these teams go at each other. It's going to be difficult. I think what you're going to see is you're going to see a lot of number three and number four receivers be an impact. But other than that, I'm this is one of those games where I'm just going to sit back and watch it and enjoy it. I don't know if I can give too much insight as to what these teams' game plans are, but I think this is going to be a good game to watch. The last thing I want to say in regards to that is Philadelphia could have a potential plus in their running back situation if they don't want to lean on Nick Foles, talk to me a little bit about how that's been a missing element in the past couple of weeks, but something that could come around in the NFC championship game. Well, when they picked up Jay Ajayi, that was a very, very big deal because they had kind of the scat back and Clement. And then they had like LeGarrette Blunt, who is really good at just wearing a defense down, but you're, you usually don't see a lot of those explosive plays those game-changing plays. You don't see those from LeGarrette Blunt. He's just not that guy anymore. Jay Ajayi brought that to this offense. Jay Ajayi can get the ball and flat-out take off. And so they are set up so that they can wear down that Vikings defense. But that Vikings defense is not the best in the league for nothing. And so Philadelphia is going to have to mix it up. They're going to have to get Zach Ertz involved. And that's going to be difficult when he's going up against you know guys like Harrison and they're just some really good players in that Viking secondary, which is why I think you're probably going to see like at Nelson Aguilar manage to to squeak around and 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 get open. If they could take advantage of Torrey Smith's speed, that could help them out a lot as well. So there are ways to attack Minnesota, but they're going to have to have a really good game plan. And all of the Philadelphia fans that I know really, really like Doug Peterson, and they really like what he's doing in Philadelphia. This is an opportunity to go up with your second string quarterback up against the league's best defense and show that you're a coach that can win. So there's definitely an opportunity here. I think that that, that running game is going gonna, is gonna to be a big impact because when you can wear down the defense with two bigger guys, because Jay Ajayi is a pretty big guy too. So I think if they go out and they pound the ball and work in some play action, yeah, Philadelphia definitely has a chance. One last thing before we head on out, mm -hmm. your thoughts 
after a probably will be a grueling weekend in the NFL with two great games coming up in the AFC and NFC Championship. Who comes out on top and who will be going to the Super Bowl after this weekend is done? I'm pretty sure the Pats are going to get past the Jaguars. But, I mean, this Eagles-Minnesota game, I, I think it's going to be a fun one to watch. If I have a favorite in it, I got to go with Minnesota. Just the way that Case Keenum has really been clutch for them and having the best defense in the league, I think definitely gives them advantage over a Philadelphia team. That is good. I mean, they're a very good team, but I think Case Keenum has a little bit more of that mojo than uh, Nick Foltz does. So if, if I'm calling the Super Bowl, I'm saying it's the Pats and the Vikings and you have to give the nod to the Pats. I would like the Viking. I would like to see the Vikings win it all, but the Patriots have been here before. They understand what it's like to play under the pressure of a of a conference championship and a Super Bowl. That experiences are invaluable when preparing yourself to play in these big games. And the Pats have made a routine of making it to these big games, so you have to give them the advantage. Well, we'll definitely reach out to you again before the actual big game because you don't want to say Super Bowl. The NFL might get mad. I might want to charge you. Yeah. But <laughs> you only say the big game. We'll uh, reach out to you before the big game to get your final thoughts and see if anything changes and see actually who comes out on top after the AFC and NFC championship and who your pick actually will end up being in the Super Bowl might change you never know yeah all it takes is one hand injury away but tyler i want to thank you so much for being a part of the pop culture cosmos and the pcc multiverse as always over the course of this past season you want to check out tyler baker's all of his great stuff going on with the fantasy football pater podcast and also the facebook group fantasy football pater podcast thank you Gerald. Look forward the next time tyler as always it's a great pleasure having you part of the PCC Multiverse. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back with the PCC Multiverse to close out the program. Josh in our continuing look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we lead into February's Black Panther and May's Infinity War. Next up on the list is Iron Man 2. First off, I want to get your thoughts on Iron Man 2, and then I'll share some thoughts on why Iron Man 2 is, well, uh, maybe a movie you might not want to see, but it is truly important to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I liked the idea of Iron Man 2. You know, I liked the trailers and I liked the possibilities that it held. I know Marvel did too at the time. Yeah, but I didn't like the execution. I didn't like how you had all that buildup and there's so much going on. Like the robot fights were cool, like the drones. That was a very cool scene. But 
whiplash was like they they made it seem like um you know what's his name uh sam rockwell as justin hammer and they didn't give you know they added him in there they didn't really give whiplash a chance to develop into the villain he could have been and then they just uh you know they're too lazy to really end that so they just had that big showdown in the end and yes you know the robot scene was cool the the finale wasn't it was just a weird like you know lasted less than two minutes Yes, it is very important. It kind of set up the whole Avengers initiative thing and it gave you, as you see, Samuel L. Jackson and like gave you a history of uh, Tony Stark's dad and what he discovered and all that. And they like kind of had the little Captain America and Iron Man lead in, or not Iron Man, but Thor lead ins. But it wasn't the, the movie that I was expecting. Not to say that it's a movie that I would skip out on. I mean, I would still watch it, but it's just, it's not like. It's not the iron because they developed in the first one. They turned Tony Stark into this kind of comedic type character, but then in Iron Man two, they kind of flipped the switch. So it, it was just it, the contrast was not what I wanted from an Iron Man film. What are your thoughts? Well, I will tell you this: for me, it is one of the worst of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And early on, there were some stinkers in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Let's not mince words on that. It, there were some really bad movies, and Iron Man two is one of them. Obviously, still a very successful movie as far as what it did ultimately at the box office. Critically, it really wasn't received that well. Mickey Rourke's performance and his wavering in and out Russian accent didn't really help matters. But I will say this it is still very important to the Marvel Cinematic Universe for two reasons. A. Obviously, it introduced us to the awesome character known as Black Widow, which my girls are forever grateful for. They really appreciate her. They look up to Black Widow as far as their hero in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and, and truly appreciate her being part of it. And obviously, that's where we got to see Scarlett Johansson start in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Without Iron Man 2, there wouldn't be any Black Widow you know, getting involved and whatnot, and just seeing her develop over the course of time, even from that early stage on, has been a great thing to see as far as the development of her character to the point now where, as we talked about recently, she may be getting her own standalone movie, which is long overdue. And number two for me, well, as we saw from Spider-Man Homecoming and what, what the lead-in for that was, it looks like there's the birth of Peter Parker being introduced in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with his character uh, being saved by Tony Stark. Although the timelines are, I don't know, man. When you really look at the timelines, they're all messed up because of Spider-Man Homecoming. When you talk about him being so young in the movie at that point in time to what he is now in high school, I don't know, and uh, because it, we're only talking about what 2010 when Iron Man 2 came out, so uh, it stretches the the lengths of believability. But then again, when you watch Spider-Man: Homecoming and you see the seven years later thrown up on the screen, for anybody who pays attention to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that throws you off completely. So, little errors aside, obviously, since it does and it has been confirmed that it does introduce the Peter Parker character that obviously has to make Iron Man 2 a very integral part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right, but it wasn't until Spider-Man came out. So it was, you know, it's one of those movies that they keep, 
I guess, adding relevance to, if that makes sense. But yeah, I mean, it's... And also, it's, and also Don Cheadle's War Machine. Right, right. So it's an anchor of sorts. It's or a, a launching pad, I guess. Like it was, you could call it the second launch of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But every, you know, and like we talked about with Iron Man One, everything in this universe sort of hinges on Tony Stark, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens when Tony Stark is no longer a part of that universe, if that ever comes. Well, I couldn't agree with you more on that because it will be interesting to see. Does the Marvel Cinematic Universe still hold the same kind of spell on audiences once Tony Stark's character is gone? Even if Iron Man is replaced somehow with somebody else taking up the super suit, if Robert Downey Jr. is leaving the series, as he's pointed out on more than one occasion, and which will most likely happen probably with Infinity War 1 or 2, then it will be interesting to see indeed in the next Marvel phase, if it still holds the same charm with the general audiences out there. Because like you said, he it all ties to him. His charm, the way he's ingratiated himself with the fans out there, with the Tony Stark character, the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe seems to have been buoyed around him. And uh, you know, even in Iron Man 2, he was still able to charm his way through the picture no matter how bad it got and obviously if you want to watch it uh, just basically it's a a tony stark show and as long as you watch it for that and also the the infancy of don Cheadle and his war machine character because terrence howard was removed after the original iron man and then also as well Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow character and the birth of Peter Parker, which was explained in the leading up to Spider-Man's Homecoming, then that definitely does make the Iron Man 2 movie a very integral part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What are your thoughts on Iron Man 2? Do you think it's a stinker like we do, but it's still very important to the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Do you think it's a really good movie? Or do you think it's a movie that just doesn't need to exist at, at all, any point in time in the timeline in the MCU? Or do you, like like us, still have a hard time believing that's still Peter Parker right there in the middle of the movie? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook and Twitter as well. So Josh, we've come to another end of a great episode. I want to thank Rob McCallum, and of course, Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater podcast. Appreciate both of them coming on to the show. Any last thoughts before we head on out? I think we're covered. Uh, it's Sunday. We're going to be breaking down Sony's, uh, the year Sony has ahead of them, correct? That's correct. Yeah, Because we didn't have enough time today, we are going to be breaking down what we expect from PlayStation in 2018. We're going to break that down on the Sunday episode Plus, also as well, we're going to be taking care of the next movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And this is really going to be a sore subject for both Josh and I, because Josh and I have always never seen eye to eye on this. And that's Thor. That's coming up in the next episode. We got some homework for you guys. Research Dutch angles. um, And then, yeah, and then we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. Definitely, indeed. And there's still a lot going on this weekend. We're also going to talk about that, including also as well, the new monster hunter and that being the first big game release of the year 
going to talk about that and even so much more on our Monday episode. So you want to catch that on Podcast Radio Network. Also as well, Croc Radio in Canada, Cutting Edge Radio Network, the Western Reserve Radio Broadcasting Network, and of course, all of our great downloading networks. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at ESONetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hey, welcome NFL football fans. It's that time again. Time for another edition of NFL Football Talk. I'm your host, Charles E. Smith Jr. Here I am. My This is the playoff, so I am the wizard of playoff prognostication here. You see the glasses and everything. I just kind of go kick into another mode when it becomes playoff time. We're down to the final four. 16 teams began, and here we are. It's uh, getting right down there. So actually not 16. I'm sorry. I'm an NHL fan, too. They start with 16. NFL, not with, with so many. But anyways. Let's get down to it. As you know, we do this every single week. This is an Inside Sports production, which is presented by Humanica Media. And I do not work alone here. I do enlist the help of only the very, very best. So everybody, a lot of you already follow my co-host on Twitter. You follow him at Chris L Sports. That's at Chris, C-H-R-I-S, the letter L, and then sports. He is a proud graduate of Rutgers University, and he is my very favorite East Coast intellectual here he is from somewhere in an undisclosed location in beautiful Southern California, Chris Lardieri. Hey, Chris, what's happening out there, man? Chris, Charles, uh, Chris, uh, Charles, great to be back as <laughs> always. Pre- <laughs> oh, man, I know. At least I'm not going to say anything about San Diego. But, um, yeah, thank thank you and uh, introduction. And, uh, you know, I'm noticing a recurring theme here in the playoffs, the seem to be the barn burners especially the late ones and the good news there are no saturday games this week that'll be duds yeah that's true so we recap just last week uh the final four and how did they get here well we had the philadelphia 15 to 10 over atlanta and the nfc other nfc game uh the fantastic game was on uh sunday that was minnesota 29 to 24 by the narrowest of margins over the new orleans saints and then in the afc Jacksonville, they go up 21-0 on Pittsburgh, hold on to win 45-42. to And uh, New England, not a whole lot of problem, 35-14 to over Tennessee. But the game of the weekend, which we talked about that last week, it would be New Orleans and Minnesota. And, uh, you know, a very special ending to that game, Mr. Lardieri, looking at uh, the point spreads and such. 
Ah, yes, I can speak to that well. So I want to thank my brother-in-law, Stephen, who went to Vegas. I didn't take my own advice and bet the Jags getting the points, although I should have. But I did have the Saints getting five and a half, and I was sitting here anxiously watching the conclusion of that game. And right before that drive started, you know, my 10-year-old son, who I guess is on degenerate gambler now knows about point spreads because I told him, well, the Vikings score here. They just can't kick the extra point. And the, the gambling gods in Vegas were listening. I'm one of those lucky people who, by the narrowest of margins, thanks to Case Keenum taking a knee and realizing the implications of the point spread, I covered by half a point. It's a lesson to all you youngsters out there. Uh, don't gamble. It's dangerous. It's stressful. And you have to worry about things like people going nuts on the field and the refs having to round them up and hoping they don't even kick the extra point. Exactly. So, and for those of you not in the know, you know, Saints had were actually a five and a half point underdogs. And then that was a, they, New Orleans, excuse me, Minnesota wins by five points. Had they kicked that extra point, they would have won by six and everyone who bet on Minnesota would have won. But instead, everyone who had the Saints plus 5.5, they actually won that. But that agonizing, after that, that final touchdown is scored, the pandemonium breaks loose and just how agonizing it must have been for those who really bet significant amounts just sitting there in the sports book with this extra point pending. And, you know, the only other thing is, is were that the Patriots who were favored by five and a half? I tend to think Bill Belichick would have kicked that extra point. Oh, absolutely. He'd love to rub it in. And you know, I don't think he even knows. I mean, I'm sure he knows what a point spread is, but he mm. probably doesn't even care or who knows? He probably even knows which way the money was was laid in Vegas at that point in time. But yeah, and and you know another thing, like you got to feel bad for uh, my brother-in-law. Steve had a three-team parlay. I'd warned him those are those are the devil's bets. And had the Saints won, he would have won a sizable amount of money. But for whatever reason, Sean Payton, Dennis Allen, defensive coordinator, why are you not dropping seven into pass coverage? Why were two linebackers out there? I know it was a boneheaded play and. A lot of hindsight with, well, I didn't want to get a penalty, and I just wanted to knock you know, knock into him. And, um, I don't know. There, there are a lot of things at, at play here. I, really, is it to the point now where defensive backs are afraid to hit wide receivers for fear of a penalty? I mean, pay them out if you have to. Uh, never seen anything like it. My good friend Stu said it reminded him of Flipper Anderson, Rams-Giants back in the day. Um, mm -hmm. A, a walk-off, but, yeah, I uh, – Really, and just I was more shocked than anything. And then when the reality set in about the extra point, and uh, now, um, from what I heard, Vegas was silent while everyone waited to see what would happen. While Case Keenum got the cloud, uh, the crowd to clap. Yeah, there we go. So you know, congratulations to all those teams that made it. The only the uh, Patriots, as you know, the backstory to this whole thing, they're driving for their sixth Super Bowl ring, six rings for Brady, uh, quite possibly. And they're only a couple of games away now. And who would have thought at the beginning of the season? Uh, we could see in this Final Four, we could see Tom Brady being one of the quarterbacks. But the other three quarterbacks, Blake Bortles, Nick Foles, and Case Keenum, who are essentially three placeholders, the conventional wisdom in Jacksonville is that they'd be just fine if they could replace Blake Bortles. And then you got Nick Foles, who is replacing Carson Wentz. And you've got Case Keenum, who is just keeping Teddy Bridgewater seat warm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and there was there was one piece I saw out there where basically Jeff Fisher had uh, 
two of the four quarterbacks in the championship games on his roster at, at some point and couldn't win. But that's more of a Jeff Fisher problem than it is the quarterbacks. But uh, I think the, the theme now in 2017 heading into 2018 NFL season is you don't need a good quarterback. You just need a really good defense. You need a few bounces along the way. But uh, you've got these backups leading their team to the championship games. I know Bortles has been a starter, but – now, let's face it, he's one of the most maligned quarterbacks on a winning team anywhere in the NFL, even more so than Marcus Mariota. So I guess the good old days of the early turn of the season, Delfer were winning Super Bowls, playing on teams led by their defenses. Well, defenses and what do they all have in common? A solid run game. And we had talked about how you, they're pass happy during the regular season, but when it be, when it comes down to playoffs and crunch time, it's about who has the strongest running attack. And you know, we look at New Orleans getting there kind of with a running attack, even though they bogged down last week, and that's why you shouldn't fall into seventeen to nothing holes before you start playing. But good running attack with the Patriots, with Latavius Murray, and uh, you know the the two headed monster there with the Eagles, with Jay Ajayi and Legarrette Blunt, and we know about Leonard Fournette over there in uh, in Jacksonville. But one of the things with Jacksonville against Pittsburgh, we can jump over there. Pittsburgh falling into that 21 nothing hole, but as they came back, even though they fell short, but how many times are you going to allow T.J. Yeldon when he's in the game, every time he comes in the game, catches a swing pass and runs for 15, 20 yards? You, don't, you know he's getting the ball every time he comes in. And the Steelers just could not defense T.J. Yeldon. They let him run free every single time. Yeah, Yeldon was the unsung hero of that game, especially right. when he went out with the ankle injury, really a difference maker there. And uh, bigger picture, you, know, you and I have talked about this a lot over the years. Mike Tomlin, I mean, I'm going to go on record, really an overrated coach. His in-game management's questionable. He's supposedly a defensive coordinator, uh, has a defensive background and really can't make adjustments. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, yeah, all year Todd Haley's play calling was questioned. He lost his job. But at what point does Mike Tomlin become accountable? I mean, even Dan Fouts going nuts during the game with about two minutes left, he, he considered yeah, kicking right. it off. Uh, later in the game, could have kicked a field goal to make it a, uh, you know, up to the point where if he did, get the onside kick and convert, it would only be a seven-point difference. So um, really, I, I'm sure a lot of the loyal members in Pittsburgh feel the same way, but I think on a bigger picture national level, uh, some of the tarnish off Mike Tomlin? Well, we'll see. You know, like I say, it takes a long time for the residue of a Super Bowl win to uh, to rub off, you know, just as just Jeff Fisher, Jeff Fisher didn't win the Super Bowl but went and made untold millions based on that on the Music City Miracle. But, yeah, I think we if we uh, look at some of these coaches, though, Mike Tomlin, does he now go into that category where I think Mike McCarthy and Jason Garrett as the most overrated coaches in the league? I'm not saying Tomlin's a bad coach because he has gotten them two, two Super Bowls, winning one of them, but it comes down to overrated coach, didn't keep his team focused. They were clearly – uh, looking forward to to playing the Patriots. That's that's what it was all about. Even he had some of his players who were chirping during the week, which you would never hear that coming out of New England, but they were talking about playing Pittsburgh before the, the game against Tennessee. So it's one of those things where I think Tomlin, I like his energy, but when it comes to the just the very fine points, the minutia of keeping the team focused, I think that's where he falls flat. 
And that's where uh, with Pittsburgh, they started playing once they were down 21 nothing, and the reality of losing that game set in. Then they started playing, even though they came up short. But there was no reason for them to fall into that hole in the first place. Completely agree, and, and and especially to your point about them losing focus. You got guys on Twitter, like teenagers, boasting about how they're looking forward to playing New England, and that already happened once this year before they played the Patriots in the regular season. They had a couple duds leading into those games. So yeah, bad job by Tomlin. I mean, I know they're grown men; and they get paid to do their job, but you've got to keep that team focused. Yep, there you go. And then uh, talking about Jacksonville, though, we talk about leadership that comes from the top and filters down with the team. Tom Coughlin, who initially when Jacksonville was a was an expansion team back in the 90s, he took them to the AFC Championship two games, two years in a row. And now he gets he's president of football operations. There they are back on top. And special assistant is John Idzik. You remember, he was the GM. <laughs> For the New York Jets in 2013 and 14, and there was all the things. Remember the uh, flag saying "Fire John Idzik" flying outside the Jets practice. It was supposedly all his fault. Well, 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 well. <laughs> Perhaps the problems are a little bit higher than the GM sometimes. Yeah, they are. But in in kind of Idzik's uh, defense, the guy was a capologist. He was in over his head in that job. I really don't think he's a. He's a number one guy. And then even with Coughlin, look, I love Coughlin, but um, a lot of these draft picks that were built up on the defensive side were prior to his tenure, though, for two of the remaining major last pieces of the puzzle, a bruising running back in Fournette and Doug Marone, who by all accounts was an excellent coach and just got fed up with Buffalo and Buffalo, who can blame him, who uh, has kind of been that really has done a good job. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, Sean McDermott's a nice coach in Buffalo, but years and i think the bills fans would rather have marone over rex ryan don't you <laughs> yeah that's true that's true it's just that uh you just can't uh, overstate how much just attitude coming down as far as you, you can have the players but it's about having the right attitude coming into the end of the game the right attitude the right focus the right philosophies and i think that's an intangible that tom coughlin has always brought no matter where he's been yeah, and I think the key to them this weekend, and we'll get into it when we analyze the game. I mean, at some point, Coughlin, that he is kryptonite to Bill Belichick's Patriots. Strap on the headphones, get your face beat red in the cold, and pretend you're coaching. It'll really fit, freak out Belichick and Brady and et cetera. <laughs> okay, well, we'll see. And, you know, let's go ahead and get into picking those uh, those two games. We're going to have the uh, early game is the Jacksonville Jaguars in New England to face the Patriots. This is Championship Sunday coming up. And then later on, we're going to have a uh, Minnesota in Philadelphia to see if it'll be Case Keenum or Nick Foles, who will be the starting quarterback in Super Bowl 52. But before we get into that, uh, Mr. Lardieri, you have some words of wisdom for all the fans out there? Yeah, definitely. I, I think as great as that Viking Saints game was, yet again, questionable officiating, a lot of these pass interference calls, I feel like it's come to the point where teams are just hurling the ball up there on third and long, hoping for a pass yeah. interference penalty. And I beg the competition committee, change the rule, go to college, make pass interference a 15-yard penalty. 
We all know it's hard to define a catch, but I feel like with pass interference, if two guys are pushing, the refs always seem to defer and blame the defensive back. I mean, there was one play where Kyle Rudolph was going for a ball, shoved the defensive back, who had his hands on him as well, but Rudolph literally shoved off on him to get separation, and the Minnesota fans were up in arms that there wasn't a pass interference call against the Saints. I mean, uh, it's just bogging the game down, that and the replays. I hope heading here into the last three games we can get past that, but uh, it seemed to be the, the overarching theme of the season, and it didn't fail this past weekend. Yeah, that's true. You know, just to just put a capper on that with the replays, what gets me about it is how long they're taking for some things that are just so clearly obvious. Like when they were reviewing the final touchdown for Minnesota when they won, and you could see he was, what, six inches away from the sideline, didn't step out of bounds. They can't review for penalties. So what in the world is taking so long sometimes when we see it on the first replay? And that's what uh, some of the announcers are saying is, why is it all of a sudden taking so long for these things that are very simple? I have no idea. I mean, figure skating judges can figure it out in less time and, and fix the results too. That's yeah, one. French ones too, yeah. Uh, absolutely. But yeah, I don't know if... Uh, you know, once they once they make a decision, they got to run it by legal or compliance to approve the final decision of the review. I'm really not sure. You know, the the, the whole point was that going to New York with Al Riveron and his crew was going to speed things up, so the refs didn't have to go over to their little uh, their little hut and review it on the TV screen. But uh, not working. They've got to speed it up. I mean, do we go like the Major League Baseball is proposing? We have a clock uh, in between at bats. I don't know. Well, that's kind of what NHL had to do when they went to reviews. But, you know, we'll not go ahead and we can talk the review thing when we do a show in between. We got two weeks before the Super Bowl. We'll be able to do a show just on all the NFL issues. We'll get to it then. But, Mr. Lardieri, let's go ahead and break this down. First game, take it away, Jacksonville at New England. Yeah, the surprising Jacksonville Jaguars. Notice I said Jaguars. They're not Jaguars, NFL announcers. <laughs> Heading to Foxborough in the early game. Everyone's pretty much counted them out. They feel as though the Patriots are going to repeat, with especially with Gronkowski back. The fact that the the defense has turned it around after the debacle of opening night against the Chiefs. Um, here to tell you, while I do think the Patriots are going to win this game, I don't think it's going to be a pushover. Uh, Tom Brady does not like being hit. He does not like being rushed, and that's one thing Jacksonville can do. They've got two phenomenal corners and. Uh, Boyer and Jalen Ramsey, and with those guys shadowing Brady's targets, the Jags a little more time to rush the passer. That said, they're the Patriots. They're at home. Um, I really don't trust Jake Bo uh, Blake Bortles over Tom Brady, so going to reluctantly pick the Patriots. I know most of America doesn't want them to go back, but uh, who knows? Maybe they lose a Super Bowl this year, but that's for another show. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, you know, that's the thing is you talk about uh, Boye and Ramsey back there at the corners, but also they got all pros at the linebacker and on the defensive line. So the three levels of defense, they have anchors at all three levels. That's really what you need as far as Jacksonville goes. And then, you know, Fournette, I think he should be 100% from everything I know. And we know about the Patriots on the other side, but it's the same thing. And, hey, Jacksonville faithful out there. You have no idea how badly I really want to call an upset here, but it comes down to the little things of the game, and that's what New England does not give you. They're not going to make mistakes that will give you the game. All the little things, the minutia of the game, they're the ones who they do that better than any other team. And, hey, this is coming from a Dolphins fan. i got to give props where it's due. 
So I got to pick. Uh, I got to pick New England. Also, the real question is, they're a nine-point favorite, and would you take Jacksonville and the nine points? I think that's the bigger question as far as uh, which way you pick the game. Yeah, absolutely. That is going to make it interesting. And and one more thing I think would be uh, to kind of keep your eye on is Miles Jack potentially versus Gronkowski. Uh, Jack, really a, a guy who fell in the draft coming out of UCLA, has really made a name for himself just a few years in the league. Can he cover Big Gronk? I'm I'm looking forward to that uh, that that matchup on Sunday. Yep, there we go. Okay, so we're both going with New England in the early game, and then at 3:40, the Minnesota Vikings are in Philadelphia to take on the Eagles. And by the way, the last I checked the weather, it is supposed to be right around 50 degrees in both games. Both are outdoor games, so weather should not be a factor. So we, we look at this game, uh, I give the edge, if we look at the uh, matchups here, this is a pretty even contest. They got Minnesota favored by three, but Minnesota, I would give the edge to them on defense. Overall defense, Minnesota's defense, a little more ferocious, a little quicker than Philadelphia's defense. Running back, uh, Latavis Murray does a good job there for Minnesota, but Ajayi and Blunt, I give the edge to them there. And then wide receivers, Hey, you know, Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen there from Minnesota, I think have a little a little bit of an edge over Alshon Jeffrey and who I guess Zachers would be their number two guy there. But uh, and then the quarterbacks, I mean Case Keenum or Nick Foles, you just kind of wonder if one of them is gonna fold at some point. I've got to go here. This is a tough one to pick, but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go with the uh, the ground game that's really been the determining factor here even though they're going against a superior defense. I think that over the course of the game, the Jay Ajayi and, uh, and LeGarrette Blunt will be able to run down Minnesota just enough, and that'll be the margin of victory there. So I'm going for the slight upset here, Philadelphia going to the Super Bowl for the third time. Uh, Mr. Lardieri, what do you think? Now, we've been agreeing too much here in the postseason in 2018. I'm going to disagree. I learned my lesson last week. While I did like the Saints getting the points, I also picked them to win, and I was mere seconds away from being right. But uh, a lot of the relatives in Minnesota, including uh, Uncle Dick and Cousin Mike, are going to be happy. I'm, I'm picking your purple people eaters, and, and here's why. Um, even with this game being a late start, I looked at temperatures only going to be in the 40s. I heard an analyst say this week, oh, well, the Vikings don't play outside, and when they do, like in Green Bay, Keenum had a bad game. He wasn't throwing well. It was probably in the single digits that game, so I don't think that'll be an issue for Keenum. Uh, what I do like is I really think that the front seven of Minnesota will be able to contain that ground game. Don't forget the Vikings secondary, very underrated, gave Drew Brees fits in that first half. Then on the offensive side of the ball, the two-headed monster of Latavius Murray and Jarek McKinnon will do enough. I think the guy to watch out for, you mentioned Diggs and Thielen, who are definitely – targets for the, the Eagles to keep their eyes on. Kyle Rudolph really had a nice year. I think if mm -hmm. Keenum can get him the ball, that could be the difference maker. I think it could be a close, low-scoring game like we saw the the Falcons-Eagles game this past Saturday. And by the way, how Steve Sarkeesian keeps his job after that play calling late in the game, I'll never know. But uh, going to go with the Vikings. And uh, for the first time ever, we're going to have the home team go to their own Super Bowl. And if that does materialize, I – I looked, and they'll be the road team in their own stadium, which will be interesting. So Vikings is my pick. Okay, there we go. And uh, by the way, the Sarkeesian thing, I don't think that's over. So I have a, I just have a feeling that when 
the next season opens, uh, 2018 opens, the Atlanta Falcons will have a new offensive coordinator because that's one thing we didn't talk a lot about the Falcons, but in this postseason, they basically got all their points off of turnovers, uh, which they did against the Eagles last week. They got 13 points off of turnovers against the Rams when they played in the week before. So two games in this postseason – and they only had, I think, two honest drives the, the entire time in, over the course of two games. So that offense is stalling out. It was about the opportunistic defense actually giving them a chance to stay in these games. And that's just way too much firepower that they have in, in Atlanta to be only be putting up 10 points in a game. Yeah, I mean, I want to say Julio Jones probably had about three or four touchdowns this year. That That's absurd. Right, exactly. So there we go. We're both taking uh, New England to get to the Super Bowl again as Brady begins that quest for the sixth ring. And then uh, we're split on Minnesota and Philadelphia. I'm taking Nick Foles and the Eagles to get to the Super Bowl, whereas Mr. Lardieri said it's going to be the Vikings playing in a home Super Bowl for the very first time in NFL history. Okay, folks, remember every single week right here throughout the season and through the Super Bowl, it's NFL Football Talk. You can follow me on Twitter at the Inside Sports. Follow Mr. Lardy Area on Twitter at Chris L Sports. That's at C-H-R-I-S, the letter L, and then sports. And before we sign off here, uh, Chris, final words of wisdom for everyone? Yeah, absolutely. It's been a trend all year. My, uh, my underdog pick, we're down to two games, and thankfully <laughs> I do have one. Jacksonville, if you can find them getting nine and a half points, I say take it. I, I think they can – stay in this game. I guess at that price, I guess it would have to be about a seven point game, but the line does move. We know that the Patriots are a national team and a lot of fans around the country like them. Who knows that line could move some more, but uh, I think they're a good underdog pick. And in the other game, I really don't feel strongly one way or the other. The line's been hovering between uh, Vikings giving two and a half to three, but if the Eagles get to that, uh, that, that coveted three and a half point spread, like I said, I think this could be a close game. While I do think the Vikings could win, much like last week, the Eagles could be a play if it ever does hit plus three and a half. But remains to be seen if that will happen. So uh, not, I'm gonna I'm gonna ride my Jacksonville underdog pick one more week, and hopefully it's profitable for you. <laughs> okay, there you go. And by the way, I don't mention this very often. Well, actually, I do. But Chris has <laughs> Jersey roots, so all this gambling stuff he kind of knows about it because uh, he grew up with it much like he's kind of passing the torch to uh, Master Lardieri there in your household, eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's uh, like osmosis. You pick that stuff up by osmosis. You're not necessarily sitting him down and talking point spreads, but he hears it, and it's just kind of something that floats in the air there. But I know you, you raise your kids with good morals, man. I'm not saying anything bad. I don't want anyone to be misled about that. You're, you're damn right I do. Before the record, my dad was not a gambler. I just think uh, – if anything, it was moving out here to the dark side in the proximity to Vegas where I could do it legally. Now, I, I don't I don't bet illegally. I do it all in the, the wonderful state of Nevada. But uh, my my son, I think, if anything, has become more addicted to fantasy football this year. But that's not gambling. So, parents, don't worry. My, my son's a well-adjusted kid. He just he likes watching games to see who scores touchdowns and gets his dad's team six points on Sunday. <laughs> there you go, everybody. Okay, so thanks for joining us. Remember, NFL Football Talk Inside Sports Production. For Mr. Chris Lardieri, this is Charles E. Smith, Jr. Thank you for watching. We'll see everybody next week when we will be talking Super Bowl.